0: It can be films like Selma, and the gripping documentary 13th, as well as the limited series When They See Us. If you know those titles, you know I'm talking about filmmaker Ava DuVernay. Or it can be Barry Jenkins' Best Picture winner Moonlight, which we'll talk about on today's show. But I also want to add in his follow-up, If Beale Street Could Talk, a great adaptation from a great author, James Baldwin. It can be the entire filmography of Spike Lee, Boys in the Hood, Judas and the Black Messiah, Dope, Fruitvale Station, Dear White People... The 40-year-old version, that's version, not virgin, not the Steve Carell movie. Look it up, it's on Netflix. I forgot to talk about it on the episode today. It actually was one of my favorite movies of last year. And it can be Jordan Peele's Get Out, as well as Candyman, the new updated version, and the one from the 1990s are films in the horror genre that also double as black films. A lot of these titles are very contemporary. And I think it's because over the last few years, more and more black films and the filmmakers behind them are getting the credit they deserve. These kind of stories are part of the culture in America. Even if it tells a darker side of history, they are still stories that should be told. Because just like Black Lives Matter, so do black stories. Today on the show, we celebrate Black History Month by discussing some films that are pretty much doing a good job at everything I just said. And I'm joined by a good friend and past collaborator. So... Welcome to The Basement, everybody. (laughs) Okay, here we are in The Basement today. Um, So I had a... Kind of big thing scheduled out about a couple months ago, because I know February is Black History Month. I wanted to have, you know, on every week for the month of February, have a artist on the show or a filmmaker, actor, uh, producer, writer, podcaster, activist, whoever (laughs) I could get on this show who's a person of color. Uh, And uh, I had some scheduling conflicts (laughs) and it just so happens, though, for today's episode, I have pretty much all of that in one person. Uh, <laughs> please welcome back to Tyler Geis's basement, uh, Jason Coombs. Welcome.
1: Yes, sir. Thanks for having me again.
0: Literally, it has been almost a year since we taped the episode that aired way back. It was like the third or fourth episode on this show. I was still figuring out yeah. the kinks. <laughs> um, we were plugging your film festival. I should have added that to your resume, a uh, film festival director or whatever it is. Um, how have you been? I know we literally just talked about a month ago because I was on your show. So
1: you were. Yeah, I was so happy to have you. No, I mean
0: I've been okay. It's uh, you know,
1: it's January, what, February. I don't know when, when it is, but you know, winter can be a little bit um, you know, long and dark mm-hmm. and tiring. But you know we're here. Um, it's a new year, enthusiastic for what's coming next. You know, try not to get too much into the winter slump.
0: <laughs> I feel you, dude. Season depression is like more serious than people think.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, yes, indeed.
0: To jump in because I'm excited and I, I wanted to. I would definitely wanted to have this be like a, a big standout episode um, during Black History Month on this show. I wanted Thank to talk sure. about. I wanted to talk about black cinema african-american cinema with you and we i gave you a little bit of homework i gave myself a little bit of homework and we picked three films (laughs) uh yeah we did within that i guess we could say genre uh within that world of filmmaking um Mm -hmm. to uh that we wanted to talk about now i i don't necessarily know if these are our top three because i think when you and me were texting today like i probably could have swapped one of these out and put another one in i think the final one i want to talk about tonight uh is like probably always gonna be my number one within you know this kind of this kind of genre. Um yeah. but yeah, we each did three. Um, some of our it was really hard to narrow down. It was. We like... will have some honorable mentions, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we'll do some director name dropping and whatnot. But this is really exciting. I- I'm really happy to be doing something like this with you. And since you are my guest, let's kick this off. You have the floor, my friend. Uh, oh, do I have the you, first what, one? I always do that to the guest when um Oh. When, <laughs> whenever I have someone whenever I have someone on, we're doing like a bit of a countdown or whatnot. So you have oh, the floor; sure. you're up first.
1: Well, I guess my first one. And these aren't aren't really in any kind of order, just because I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know. But um, and I wasn't even sure if this one would count, right? Because this film is called Blind Spotting. Better one in the glove, though. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I ain't trying to go back to jail. $200 Let me Collins. Out. Not Colin's gun. Very nice. Oh, yeah. I just got an Uber pickup. You got it. Is this an Uber? Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah slow down. You know you can't catch me. I'm going too fast. for the gas, don't change me.
0: Put him up like this, you I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough guy. <laughs>
1: Do me a favor. I got three days left on this probation. When you got that gun on you, just don't tell me about it. Plausible deniability.
0: Oh, do you mean this gun? Get out. (laughs) Good night, Colin.
2: No. Bro. Stop! Stop!
1: a 2018 American kind of uh, dramedy I guess yeah um, I guess we categorize it like I watched it again last night just because I was like I want to be fresh on this and it was a lot more fu- like lot funnier than I remember it being <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that, what that says about me right now and the space on but I found a lot more humor in it than I remember it being um, but I was like I guess not hesitant but I was like oh I was like asking myself like does this count as a black film because it's a black kind of story, right? Like, Daveed Diggs is, is the main protagonist.
0: I haven't seen it, wrote the, the film?
1: Way. Oh, you haven't? Oh, I am have well aware spoilers? of it, but I haven't seen it. We're not, so we're not doing spoilers on this, right? Uh, I meant to ask
0: you that before. Not, yeah, no, we don't have to. Look, if you want to give me spoilers, fine. I mean, like, <laughs> this isn't, like, you know, a Marvel movie or, or I don't know, it could be. but True. <laughs> <it could> be. <laughs> but, like, if you want to, you know, give away some sort of ending, that's fine. Honestly, like, no, you know, no, in terms no. of these subject matters, these kind of you know drama films I feel like it would if I know kind of what's going to happen going in maybe I'll be I'll be even intrigued more but I'm well aware of this movie I actually was going to name drop it a little or later on but uh continue uh, I, don't, I don't know yeah. the yeah so. yeah well um well what I, was,
1: what I was saying was it's directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada who um is a Mexican director so I was like oh does that count. And then I was like, you know, I'm not going to overthink it. Like it's written by, it's co-written by David Diggs. It's his story. So I'm going to, I'm going to make a count for this. <laughs> um, but basically the plot, the plot follows a parolee It's his, he has three days left on parole um, played by David Diggs. And he witnesses a police shooting on his way home. Uh, actually on his way back to like the halfway house he's staying at. And he witnesses his police shooting and this kind of event kind of uh, disrupts his life, you know? He's trying to balance working, staying, like, out of the system. He has three days left on parole. He has a childhood best friend who's white, played by Rafael Cassell, and this event kind of puts a strain on their friendship as well. Um, yeah, that's pretty much a synopsis without giving too much away. And uh, it's just really enjoyable. It's kind of like, I was reading about it today, just so I would have some facts. And they, they were saying it's kind of like a buddy film, like a uh, like a buddy cop comedy without them being cops because they're like movers. And I was like, I can definitely see that. And it was there was like a lot of humor to it. Um, of course, it's very timely. You know, it was released in 2018, which I feel like, and, you know, COVID kind of has interrupted my sense of time, but I feel like 2018 was kind of when, these uh, unarmed, the the murder of unarmed black men by the police and others was kind of at the point where it it was no more like, we can't deny it. You know, the general public couldn't be like, oh yeah, that's not a thing. Or black people were just saying that, like it kind of was like this kind of huge media thing. And I think that was like that at the height of that mask reveal on that. And it also talks about um, gentrification, which is a huge topic. It takes place in the Bay
0: Area, right?
1: Like, yeah, in okay. Oakland. Yeah, in the Bay Area. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a huge uh, parallel plot line to this whole, like, kind of A story of, like, of him seeing this uh, shooting. But his best friend, you know, this white guy is having a really hard time on the outside. And I'm sure David uh, Diggs' character is having a hard time with it, too. But uh, Rafael Cassell, who plays Miles, is having a huge kind of a identity crisis, right? Because he's like a white guy. Who's from this neighborhood, he's very urban, he has all black friends and he has a black uh you know life partner, his you know, baby mama is black, he has a black son, and he's having this huge identity crisis as well, because of seeing all these you know white people coming in and into this predominantly black and urban space as well, which I also think is a very, very fascinating storyline. And these two kind of things come to head and uh it puts their friendship kind of uh, at risk.
0: Hmm.
1: And that's all I'll pretty much say without giving any spoilers away.
0: I mean, like, I don't, I don't know the plot, but well, I mean, I do, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, would you say this movie's kind of like? A, it sounds like it's a bit of a commentary between. I don't even want to say commentary because it sounds very upfront about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's about like you know a white white guy and a black guy as friends, but like when a situ when an issue in the world co- is addressed. Would you say like, yeah. it's about that dynamic and how they maybe work through it or overcome it or how it just is what it is? Like, do you think? I
1: think they're trying to overcome it. I think the, 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 issue is, and I don't want to give too much away, but you know, it's like the, the, the white best friend, he's an ally, right? That's like David Diggs is his boy. Like, you know, he's grew up in these predominantly black spaces. He's all about black lives matter. But he doesn't see his biases, right? Because his friend, his best friend, is last few days of parole, and he's constantly putting his best friend in situations where he can get caught by the police and end up going back to jail. He doesn't realize his privilege of being a white man in this kind of situation, which I think causes this conflict between them. And I think it's like he has to see that for himself. Because he's fucking up. Can I curse on this? I feel like I don't
0: remember. Oh my but god! <laughs> like, especially for like an episode like this. Yeah, go ahead and curse.
1: He's he's fucking up his best friend's you no know, his best friend's life. Yeah. you know And he doesn't see that because he thinks he's like he thinks like oh so my boy I know what I'm doing like Black Lives Matter blah 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 blah. And he's like missing the point. You know that they have two different lives. They maybe come from the same the same area. They might have the same friends you know, they're like family to each other, but they don't have the same lived experiences even with that.
0: It's like surface level understanding of someone yeah. different than you, what it sounds like, which, yeah, I, I mean, there's a ton of movies like that, that I think are still good and still merit, you know, you know, enjoyment of, you know, unity mm. between people from, di- but like something like, I- I'm just throwing names out here uh, and I'm sure you're going to cringe. And I- I'm not really a fan of the movie either, but uh, <laughs> green book, Oh yeah, um, I knew you were gonna say green book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it. <laughs> so like, like I, I there, there's so there's so many films out there, you know about you know, two, like just like this, two people from different backgrounds, even if it's not black and white, just, you know. But mm. like, there's always this, there's just always these kind of tropes you see that it's like, nah, it's not that easy. You know, like, yeah, there's like you and me are friends, but I know for a fact that, you know, there's things you've experienced that I'm probably never going to experience. And yeah. th- there's, you know, there's just differences there that I think you just have to come to a mutual understanding. And I- I'm just going to rant about Green Book for a second, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, you know, I'll tweet this to Spike Lee and he'll, you know, give me a round of applause because I know, oh, yes. about it. <laughs> but like I saw green book after it won best picture. So like the night of yeah. that, the Oscars, I remember just going like, wait, wait, that movie with Viggo Mortensen is up for best. P- what the, f- I didn't even know this was like good. I thought it was like kind of an Oscar bait movie that came and win. And I got yeah. the general, I got the general plot out of it. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, I, I, you know, I guess, you know, the Academy would get behind something like that. And then I saw it after the fact and like, you know, it, it I don't know. <laughs> it's like they, I think they they're trying, but it, I feel like that's the best picture of 1991 when you know we're just kind of getting movies like this when maybe the floodgates aren't open with having dialogue and conversations about race between black and white, like how we do today. Of and course. I just like, I remember watching and, like Vigo Morrison's mm-hmm. character annoyed the hell out of me. It's, it's not even the fact that he just says, like, he's some Italian guy from the neighborhood who just says racist stuff. It, it's mm-hmm. just the fact that like, you know, the white savior character is so prominent with him. Like the, the scene, I'm sorry if I'm going off here, but no, it's okay. Um, Go off. <laughs> I, I just like, you know, when, when I hear about that term, the white savior, like I think of his character, cause there's some scene in mm-hmm. a bar where he stands up for, um, um, I forget the other character. Marsha yes, Ali's yes. character, yeah. Um, and it's just so like, hey, you know, he's a cool guy. Like, leave him alone. And it's just, yeah, this black cringe. guy, <laughs> this black
1: guy is a, is cool, right? This is, this my is my my kind of what friend. it is. He's
0: cool, like <laughs> my one, yeah. <laughs> and I, I just like, you know, like. I, it just, it didn't hit for me. I'm like, I understand why Spike Lee was mad about it. I understand why there was an uproar about it. Like, you know, okay. You know, it's a good movie from maybe 30 years ago, maybe not 2019 or whenever it was, but yeah. 2019. But I see what you mean. Like I like seeing films now. And I think maybe we'll get more of that um, hopefully down the road with, you know, characters like these characters and i will definitely hunt this movie down and see it i've heard great phenomenal things about it it Um, was one of my favorite
1: movies of 2018 um i can't remember what else i think black Plansman came out that year too actually i loved it as well but uh yeah it's it's just so powerful and i love you know i I love like you were saying you know you have something like green book which i couldn't even i started to watch it and i was like i'm not gonna waste my time then i watched like a video essay by one of my favorite like youtubers but um Having something like that, which is like so surface talking about race relations, right? And it's so like you're yeah. seeing like so archaic archaic in a way. And then having something like blind spotting, which is like, you know, it's written by by David Diggs and Rafael Cassell, who are in real life best friends, right? So they wrote it mm-hmm. together as being two people who are best friends and kind of like having these heavy conversations. Like there's this amazing scene where like they talk about the N-word, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, David Diggs challenges him to say the N-word and you know, I won't give it away, but like to seeing these conversations that are so relevant to today and like, you know, and, and, and not afraid to kind of like rip the bandaid off or rip the whole bandage yeah. off, you know, which I think is important, which is we need, we, can, we don't need more, no, any more surface level race relation talk. Like
0: no one's learning from that. No, no, that that's, that's, that's for the all lives matter crowd. Um, basically. <laughs> uh All right. No. Anything else you want to say about blind spotting? um What else
1: do I want to say about it? No. I mean, I just, I just wish more people saw it. And they have a TV show they just released, which is kind of focused on. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's on stars. I haven't watched it yet. It's like on my list, but it's focused on Miles's baby mama's character. I hate calling her that. His partner's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's also another very powerful scene, also because you know Miles, who's the white the white friend, has a you know black baby mother partner, and he has a black son, and I think he has to come to realize like the world is going to be different for his kid, you know, and he's not going to have um, he doesn't get he's he has to learn how to like really understand his place in this family and community, and he has to really dig deep. As cheesy as that may sound, but no more surface level, like, oh, you know, Black Lives Matter, like, oh, yeah, we're marching. Like, you really have to dig deep and understand, like, how his actions um, will reflect his family and community on a deeper level. I loved it. I love it.
0: It was such is a it... joy to watch it again last night. Wait, like, do you, is it streaming anywhere right now? I watched it on Prime. Did you pay for it? I
1: think I did. Ah, I paid damn it $2.99. It. Yeah, but I think it's also sh- maybe showtime. Is I don't so have it? that. Anymore. Yeah, I didn't have that
0: either. <laughs> My friend changed his login, I can't use it anymore. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Not like to spite me. I think they just got rid of it. <laughs> but, no,
1: he spite to spite you. No cap. Yeah, no
0: uh, <laughs> all right, cool. I will I will hunt that down. I have always wanted to check it out. I I remember seeing a lot of um promotions for it and like just that yeah. was such a landmark movie on this kind of subject matter um so moving on yes to, i me hear what yours yours my my first one of the episode here is um also a film that takes place in the bay area uh i saw it in well I, it's a 2019 release however i didn't get to see it till 2020 um which i guess made for a good time to see it uh but it's the last black man in san francisco
1: neighborhood. I don't know how much longer we can keep doing this. I'm not leaving. I'm the last one left. I'm with you, bro.
0: So I love that movie. I Hold on, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so I have a story about it that like slightly involves you, even though you weren't there. Cause it was when I was in New York and we were, oh, wow. I think the movie had been out for a while. It, it said it had like a release of June, 2019. I think it played Sundance earlier that year. Uh, did well at Sundance, A24 picked it up. This is a perfect film for A24. It's very art house. Um, but you still get the message. It doesn't like, it's not so art house that you just have no idea what the hell is going on. But, um, so when I was in New York, uh, summer 2019, I was staying at your apartment, even though you weren't there. Yes. <laughs> it was the last night I was in town. It was me and Carrie, Carrie Vishwanathan who was just on the show a couple weeks ago and probably is going to ask her two or three more times. Um, he, um uh, shout out to Carrie. Uh, he, uh, we were just walking Manhattan. We were just talking. It, it was great. I got to be a New Yorker for the night and just do a walk up and down Manhattan. And of course with him, <laughs> we're just talking movies. Yeah. And I think he, either me or him dropped that title. Cause I had seen the trailer and just remember thinking, I don't really know what this movie is going to be about, but I like, I need to hunt this down. And, uh, I, so either me or him said the title and i was like oh, i i gotta see it i gotta see it i think he probably dropped it because that was my that was my response i was like oh I, I, yeah that's playing in new york like i thought it came out like last month and um yeah he was just like yeah it's, i think it's playing in a theater near us or something and i was like we should go and then he goes no uh jason really wants to see it and something like i was like Nah, I should let you see it with Jason. <laughs> like, I feel like if he found Aww. out, I feel like if he found out, like you and me went to see it, like while you were gone, like I don't know, he might have. Been- I don't
1: even think we saw it though together. Ah, well, <laughs> I think I saw it by myself.
0: <laughs> um, so we didn't see it, but I was just like, I had that movie, I had the movie in the back of my head. So fast forward to 2020, everybody's inside, and this is obviously after the uh, George Floyd incident, and all the streamers were putting up, you know films um of this ilk and whatnot and you know I'm at home seeing all the awful things on the internet and seeing you know slightly even though it was a dark time still great things for you know civil rights and civil justice people out marching and whatnot um I'm watching a lot of movies and this thing pops up on Amazon Prime and I was like yes (laughs) (laughs) and I remember like seeing it during the day and I was like okay this is going to be my night and had the living room to myself and I I wish I almost wish I got to see this movie in the theaters because I feel like just the cinematography and the imagery and just the flow of this movie must have hit on the big screen and it still hit at home but uh, I wish I saw it in theaters so for anybody who doesn't know Last Black Man in San Francisco. It is about uh, two best friends. I oddly thought that they were brothers. Um, Same. <laughs> but according to the synopsis right here, I'm looking at they are. it says they're best friends. But, yeah, they're best um, friends. Yeah. Two best friends, uh, Jimmy and Mont, they try to reclaim their house built by Jimmy's grandfather, which launches them into this kind of poignant odyssey to reconnect things from their past and everything but their um their friendships get tested and you know they have this kind of struggle especially jimmy um they have this kind of struggle to like claim you know where they're from and you know and this is a movie that deals a lot with gentrification uh completely which yeah i I did my research on really kind of san francisco is a city and what goes on there you know after the fact so like some of these things i just ended up learning after the fact um it's a beautiful just heartbreaking movie it, there's just something about how the movie ends and if we're not going to do some certain cer- certain spoilers um i'm not going to say the ending of it but uh yeah just, i remember once the credits rolled on this thing i i was a little misty-eyed it's just there's some beautiful shots with um i think it's jimmy he's out in a boat on the ocean Mm -hmm. it looks like a he's rowing and it looks like a painting i just i mean i'm sure there's some post-production work that went into (laughs) it but regardless like just a beautiful flow to this movie um starring uh, i believe his name is jimmy played by jimmy fails who i think i'm saying his last name right it's how it looks but uh Uh, He's a co-writer of it. Also, it's directed by a guy named Joe Talbot, who's a white who's white, uh, which I didn't know going into this. Um, And they're from the I believe they're from the Bay Area. So they know kind of the history of San Francisco and whatnot. And this also co-stars Jonathan Majors, who whose career has blown off. Oh, my God. Love. He's in Lovecraft Country, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic yes. in that. And um, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen Loki on Disney Plus, but... oh me. <laughs> oh shit. It's okay. <laughs> well, I, won't not say, see soon. I won't say, but he is um, a scene stealer and no. a lot of other things supposedly coming up down the road for him. And one thing I also love seeing in this phase of his career, Danny Glover pops up in a supporting role. And I kind of like how he pops up in a lot of these big independent films. I just think his role is so poignant to the story because he kind of gives a lot of backstory to the history to these to these two main characters, to the history of San Francisco to these two main characters. His his voiceover in the opening of the trailer still gives me chills. Um, yeah. which brings me to my next point, you know, with the city of San Francisco. I did a little research. This is from a New York Times uh article, I guess. Um basically a lot of the area is near a Navy yard in the Bay Area. I think it's called Bayview Hunter's Point. And for decades it was maintained by the Navy. And what they did was they deconstructed ships that were, you know, exposed to atomic testing. And that shipyard employed thousands of African-Americans. They worked there, which, you know, being exposed to radiation and whatnot, like that's just fucking awful. Mm -hmm. Um, And pretty much once the thing closed, unemployment spiked and everything. And, you know, you see a lot of that area in some of the opening shots and whatnot. And that's something, again, I didn't know. I learned after the fact um, of just kind of these very maybe not great moments in San Francisco history that have just kind of been swept under the rug. The first, like the first five minutes where they're just both on the skateboard going around the area. That is such a tone setter in this, like you just know you're in for a (laughs) real treat. You're in for just like a beautiful, um, beautiful story. This also comes out at the same time a year after your your film Blind Spotting, and there's also another film that takes place over in the Bay Area in Oakland called Sorry to Bother You, which I don't know if you've seen. Yes, that. I yes. don't know why I forgot to put it on my list because I think it's just been so long since I've seen it. But that is just another. That's just another great. That great was, that was that. I was thinking about that one. Hardcore. I was it kind of went, one. it went through my head, but then it came and went, but like, that is a movie that like the first hour I'm like, Oh my God, this is, this is awesome. And then that, yeah. that yeah. twist where just shit goes. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? Wild. Um, Wild. So sorry to bother you. I don't think is on our list or on our honorable mentions, but um, it's a great fucking movie. And it's also a Bay area. Uh, California film Um, but to go back to like kind of how these two characters are trying to find really their place in the world and something that's supposedly their home is just a big theme in the movie and you know these people are trying to find like a matter of self-safety and um, belonging but um, you know they don't really find it and it's just really sad and again I think that's Mm -hmm. just why I felt the way I felt after the movie uh, ended. Yeah. And one of the things is from the article I read of the New York Times, you know, that's such a big message in the movie. And, you know, I don't know if you want to elaborate on this, but I've heard outcries about, you know, you know, the, the phrase of like, I hate it here. Of, you know, black pe- Blacks when they're protesting, you know, of, you know, I hate it here. I, I heard that a lot during Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. And like, I feel like that tied to the theme of this a little bit with, um, you know, what it's like to be, in, be black in the U S and not have that feeling of safety or something. Yeah. Um,
1: well, I think it's the thing of like your country mm-hmm. not supporting you, right. Not, not, uh, you don't feel at home, even though this is our home.
0: Yeah. Know? Not really giving a, giving a chance at anything.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And constantly um,
1: being like shitted on and, and gaslit, and you know, like <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and having your uh basic rights taken away in some points, you know, just like in um bring it back to like blind spotting, you know, and he's just like he he I don't want to give too much away, but then like you know, him and his friend were in a situation, we're at the situation where he was arrested and him being the black man. Was arrested yeah. and his white friend wasn't, you know, and then there's also another scene where like, because his 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 friend Miles is kind of like a, he's a firecracker, he's great. rafael Gastel was amazing in that role. He's a firecracker and like, you know, they're de- they're they're furniture salesman or not furniture salesman? Sorry, they're they're delivery. Like they pick up like when people are moving, they pick up their stuff and they can move to the next house. So um, he's just like yeah. they're like stuck behind this guy and he's like obnoxiously blowing the horn. He's like move your effing car, like screaming at this guy. And then someone calls and makes a complaint, and he and then you know the V Diggs character was just like on the phone with his mom, not saying anything. But when the person made the complaint, they're like, "Oh yeah, some black guy was like, yelling at us the whole time and like being rude." And he's like, "I wasn't even saying anything, you know, like yeah. so stuff like that happens where the respect and the consideration and and yeah, you know." Oh, no, I I feel
0: I feel it. I, feel it. <laughs> I mean I I mean I these are things that I don't have to deal with, but like I I. I hear you. I hear. I hear you. I understand, mm. or I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, uh, but that's last black man in San Francisco. I mean, I you said you've seen it. Like, how much? What? What do you do? What do you have to maybe chime in about? Like, because I know you've seen it.
1: I would. I will say that's probably the one of the very few movies that has like made me cry by just watching the trailer because it was just
0: so epically beautiful. Like yeah. watching that trailer um that cover of uh um what's in it (sighs) going to san francisco uh yeah yeah it's just it's so haunting like Mm -hmm. there's it's it's a it's a it's a it was a beautiful that was one of the movies where like a trailer can just hook you i don't know what it's about but i'm in Exactly.
1: I think like it's kind of like underrated. I, I was like sure it was going to be like an Oscar contender. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the Wikipedia and like I got a bunch of other awards and nominations, but I didn't make it to like the pinnacle, which is the Oscars, which is super surprising. But I know it made like a lot of like top 10 best year end lists. Um,
0: it kind of came and went. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm just like, I don't understand why that this is not like, you know, why some movies really hit and then others don't hit. But I mean, it's still, it's just still was huge. Mm-hmm. it was like top 10 on like robert robert like roger niebert and new york times had in the top 10 and and uh chicago tribune i'm looking at indie wire in the top in
0: their top 20 end of the year list
1: la times it was honorable mention
0: i haven't seen it streaming anywhere but uh i, I want to find a blu-ray of this just to have it again it's just it's like i'm not mm-hmm. that movie's i'm maybe not that movie's target audience or maybe i am Cause yeah. I was incredibly moved by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I could keep going on about it for a little bit, but <laughs> I'm going to keep this uh, train rolling. So um, what do you got up for your second one?
1: Yes. So I was trying to, yes. uh, I have so many favorites and I was just like, so it was so hard to narrow them down. So I was trying to like, I put, kind of put them all into a list and it kind of was like, okay, I need to have some kind of representation of like black women.
2: Okay. And yeah.
1: I I couldn't think of uh a better one of, or it probably is a better one, but one that was just so uh groundbreaking at the time and kind of has like be- became like a cultural phenomenon at the time, was waiting to exhale. So
2: reality the one man i love is marrying got a kid are you tell my baby girl that her daddy loves her? to find the perfect love michael is not pretty but he's available you get the best loving in the world when a man is begging Oh! I... <laughs> to take control of their lives i'm leaving you for her you wait a minute i give you 11 years of my life and you're telling me you're leaving me for another woman and to make dreams come true. Ooh, ooh. would you like to have dinner with us tonight? There's just leftovers. Collard greens, some cornbread, some candied yams, a little potato salad, fried chicken, peach cobbler, fruit slices of ham. I have no business eating it myself, big as I am. I like that. I like a woman with a little meat on her bones, you know. Ooh, give me
1: some. 20th Century <laughs> Fox proudly presents, but I have to admit, I haven't seen anything as splendid as you since I've been here. Okay, hold on now, hold on. (laughs) You don't have to give me that look. Whitney Houston. I know if I left right now, it would be the wrong time. So, we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer than I expected.
2: You see, the more I think about it, the more I look at you, you look like the scum of the earth. Angela Bassett. I need somebody to hold me, even if it is a damn lie. Leela Rashad. Does he think he just did something here? I could have had a VA. <laughs> and Loretta Devine. Oh, God, I hope he's not watching me walk away. <laughs> all right. He's watching. <laughs> In a story of the challenges that make us stronger. I always thought if I gave him what he needed, he'd give me what I needed. You know, some of us are still on that dream trip, girl. And the friends that get us through it all.
1: By Forrest Whitaker, which is a 1995 American drama romance directed by Forrest Whitaker, which I feel like a lot of people don't know. It was his directorial debut. Yeah, it was his directorial debut. Uh, It stars one of my faves, Whitney Houston, Angela Bassett. And it was a film adapted from a novel of the same name by Terry McMillan. And the story centers on four Black women living in Phoenix, Arizona. And their relationships with different men in their lives, as well as their friendships with each other. And all of them are kind of, you know, waiting to exhale, holding their breath until they can, they find a the day or they find a, uh, a committed, healthy relationship, which is kind of, I guess, a tagline, which I kind of ruined, but <laughs> 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 and it features this fantastic ensemble of like kind of Black royalty with like Loretta Devine, uh, who's you know, she's like one of the Black women who's played like everybody's mom like, in like TV and movies and uh, Dennis Haysbert, the president from 24 and Gregory Hines is in it. Donald Faison from Scrubs. It's like a literally an all-star, all-star cast. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry, dog was barking. Dog yeah.
0: Links. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as well as the soundtrack, you know, which was... My, so I was, um, sorry to cut you off, but I just wanted no, no, to say ahead. like, I, I was, before we started recording, I told my wife my list and I told her yours and she's like yeah. waiting to exhale. I had that soundtrack <laughs> when I was younger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Erin loves the soundtrack. Soundtrack was huge. You know, it's probably just as big as the movie. And um, I guess why it's uh because the soundtrack, yeah, it was you know, it had a score by Baby and it featured like all these heavy-hitting, you know, RB like legends, you know, Whitney and Brandy and TLC and like Aretha Franklin and Tony Braxton, like all these heavy hitters are on the soundtrack. But um, I think a reason why it's probably so regarded, even if it's like not a perfect movie, it's so exhaled in such high esteem because it's like one of the very few, um, I guess, you know, major pictures in the 90s to feature Black women, like their point of view, you know, as the, as the protagonists of these stories. And uh, and they weren't just, they were kind of representing women who who weren't kind of like stereotypes, right? In film, which was at the time were constantly like, you know the '80s and '90s. You know, black women weren't really leads in movies. They were always like, no. you know, the the wife or you know the sidekick. And then you know, if they were a lead, they were like, uh, you know, like a magical Negro type character or like the Mammy kind of trope or you know a prostitute or a crackhead. Or they were like objectified, yeah. you know, in a way. Um, it was kind of second nature to the men in these stories. So like these women, you know, they were business owners and they were, you know, producers and they were career women. And, you know, some of them, two of them were married and divorced and like they were just represented upper middle-class women, which wasn't seen um, that prominently in media at the time. And it was huge, huge phenomenon back in the 90s. It crossed racial barriers and broke, I think it was like I think it was like number one at the box office. I can think it was like it beat Toy Story or something. I was reading on Wikipedia, and I was like, "Oh wow, that's pretty crazy." And um, you know, I think seeing—I remember seeing it because I—I I loved when Houston. I was a kid growing up, so my family let me come with them. You know, it was rated R, and literally like all the women in my family were—I went to see this movie. My mom, my three aunts. My female cousins, my older sister, they all sat in a row and I sat in front of them, <laughs> the only guy in the family, only kid in the family at like what nine or ten years old, watching I love Whitney and watching this movie. And uh I have that very special memory of it and how like iconic the whole thing was and how groundbreaking it was because after waiting to es- exhale, they started greenlighting other more female black female driven films like Soul Food and, and
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was this there, I I mean. I mean, I was just a little kid. Um, yeah. <laughs> soul Food. I'm, I've seen Soul Food actually. That's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, a fun was one. Wasn't there, um, I'm sorry, wasn't there like when Stella got her groove back? Didn't that, did that come so, before yeah. or after? Yeah. That was after. So I got
1: her groove back, which uh, is also another Terry McMillan novel that was converted into a book and um, just a bunch of other kind of more female driven films where Black women were seen as not these kind of stereotypes, right. That, yeah. that were so common back then.
0: Nice dude. Sorry. I don't have a lot to say. Cause I haven't seen it. But, <laughs> it's all right. um, no, to, just to kind of branch off of it a little bit, but like, I, I know you're a big Whitney Houston fan and of course, I mean, she really, <laughs> I guess just to pay some respect here, she really was, is even though she's no longer here with us physically, like she mm. really was like a had an amazing voice, but also just, I don't think she, she was never in a bad movie in her, you know, small acting career. Yeah. She, she was the bodyguard, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: and she was like a, you know, she was, she like lit up the screen, you know? Yeah, she had
0: an absolute huge presence.
1: Yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, of course she was like one of the best singers of all time, so her mm-hmm. acting really can't compare to that. But she really had this, has this presence on the, on the big screen. I remember like after she, passed away I, they showed the bodyguard I think it was like the anniversary like 20th anniversary or something they yeah. showed that so I got to see that on the picture I've never seen it on the big screen before and like she was just this like presence you know um, and Angela Bassett is in that movie who's like one of the best actors still
0: like going today and still kicking still ass. going
1: today she's so phenomenal in that and she really like she needs to get more flowers like I'm surprised she doesn't have an Oscar because she's phenomenal um, and like everything she does You know,
0: know, yeah, she's had quite a renaissance, I'd say, in the last five years since something like like Black Panther, and uh, which also had Forrest Whitaker in it. Uh, Yeah, she's also on um, Angela 911. Oh my (laughs) God. Yeah,
1: I always watch that
0: show in passing because my wife watches it and like I love (laughs) the formula of that show.
1: Yeah, I've never seen it, but I
0: hear it's good. Yeah,
1: but she's had such a great. career in general like you know she was like in the uh contact and she's been like in the score and how still i got a groove back and of course the tina turner but what's love got to do with it and malcolm X. I
0: almost put that on my list malcolm x well i mean i love malcolm x too yeah yeah i needed to put one spike lee movie i I just kind of gave it yeah but um (laughs) i I almost went with malcolm x but i but um what did you just say uh no um what's love got to do with it Oh, I, really? I always wanted to put it on my list because I just, I just saw it recently and maybe I was, I, I, I think I saw it a little bit when I was too much of a kid. And then my parents told me I yeah. can't watch this because I'm not about to sit there and watch <laughs> domestic violence. Yeah, but I yeah. saw it again, like a second time as a teenager, like really liked it. And then I, mm-hmm. I just saw it about a year ago. And yeah. Lawrence Fishburne is fucking chilling in that movie. He I is. think that's, I know it's a very unsympathetic role, but mm-hmm. he is, I like, I just, I buy him as such a narcissist and almost, I, you could yeah. say a sociopath too, as Ike Turner. And like, he just got every, you know, I go back and I went back and I watched, No, it sounds odd. I'm going back to watch videos of Ike Turner, but like he had yeah. his mannerisms down so down. well. And you kind of understand why he a character like Ike Turner had so much control over Tina Turner. Like mm-hmm. just the vindictive, just sociopathic ways of that guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I
1: don't know if you've seen it, but so the, that movie is great. Of course, it's like a, it's like a, it's one of those movies in the black community where like everyone has seen that movie and like we watch it all yeah. the time.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um her documentary that was released by HBO, I think it, it's, I think it was in 2021.
0: No, I don't think Altina I've
1: seen Turner. Oh my gosh, it's it's phenomenal. Like to hear, because if you've seen the movie, you kind of know what she went through, right? But like to yeah. hear it come from her own words and to see the impact that like that whole relationship has had on her and still as someone who, I think she's like in her 80s now, that that trauma that she still lives with, it was like phenomenal and like mind-blowing and so sad. Like, you know, it should be something mm-hmm. that was like very uplifting, because of the, the, the amazing career she's had and the, the huge comeback she had as well. But to know that she still has this like this awful trauma that she's like lived with still was, was like really, um, I don't know, it made me feel really bad for her, which I shouldn't feel bad for her because she's amazing and she's so uh, legendary, but I just, my heart was just so open for her after watching that again.
0: I have a question for you back on Whitney Houston for a minute. Oh yes. Um, okay. I almost, I almost hit you up one night because a friend texted this to me and I don't know why he texted this to me. I don't know what kind of conversation (laughs) he was having with, I I don't know if him and his wife were watching the bodyguard or something, or they, or Mm. they were listening to like Dolly Parton. You can probably see where I'm going with this. Um, Okay. Dolly Parton wrote the song. I will always love you. She did. She wrote it back in the '60s. Uh, she sings from the heart. Um, it, it, it is her song. She got the royal. Mm-hmm. She got royalty checks off of it. Whitney Houston yeah. sings it for the cover of it, and I didn't even know it was a cover it, of it for mm-hmm. a long time. Uh, f- on the soundtrack of the Bodyguard, everybody knows the, that iconic belt that she does and takes that song yeah. to another level. Which one do you prefer?
1: I mean, I'm going to say Whitney of course because <laughs> because I just remember like that was like kind of how I fell in love with her was because of that song, you know, as as a freaking 5-year-old yeah. kid <laughs> hearing that song and then seeing the movie that I wasn't supposed to, but I had an older sister and older cousins and uh they they got bootlegs. Remember bootlegs? Where they'd be like people would be like in the in the in the theater with their cameras. Yeah. She a person walking by off like... the screen yeah i remember watching one of those and falling in love with whitney houston at five years old six years old but um i think you know it's, it's hard to compare them because they're so different yeah but i think the good thing is you know what to give whitney her credit is that she's such a great interpreter of song that she was able to put her own spin on it right and that acapella opening is probably my favorite part of the song it's just her voice and she's saying those beautiful, beautiful words that Dolly Parton wrote in such a sincere and honest way. And then, of course, she gets to the, the big bombastic, you know, I will always love yous and, you know, the high notes and the whistles and all that good stuff, right? But, like, that pure, like, interpretation is just something that, like, I don't think, I, I personally think she's, like, the best singer of all, like, one of, if not the best, one of the best singers of all time, definitely top three. Um, you can make arguments for Aretha and, like, you know, Sarah, uh, Vaughn and Ella Fitzgerald, but um out of people from our generation or a little bit before our generation, like Whitney Houston is like the gold standard because of her interpretation skills.
0: That is well argued, my friend.
1: Uh Dolly Parton's amazing, and Dolly Parton loves Whitney, you know. She's oh no, much- no, no. Like I wasn't <laughs> trying yeah. to
0: stir the pot. I no, no, her. no. <laughs> she, is, she is probably the coolest old white lady on the planet, still. Like she does. You know, she and she her- talks
1: about. Oh sorry, go ahead. No, oh, you go ahead. No, I was just gonna say she talks about when she first heard Whitney's version, how she was driving. Yeah. She heard Whitney's version and made, and made her stop her car on the freeway. And she had to like stop driving and like listen and take it in. And she always says she thanks her because that was like the, ro- the royalties to that song. Like
0: <laughs> it, it also probably opened like more of an audience, because like you know, that was just an old country western song that she wrote for she was. Mm-hmm throwing out facts here now um she she was on the uh her first gig was on a show called the porter wagner show in the 1960s and she was leaving to go pursue a her career to pretty much become a superstar and she wrote that song for him you know you know i will always love you you know and um supposedly she wrote that song we're getting way off topic here but yeah, like, right. i'll wrap this up real quick like, <laughs> yeah um she supposedly wrote that song and jolene in the same day the same day and it's yeah. just like what the fuck was she going through at that time right and yeah. no she's 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 great i mean you know i remember she was like the first outspoken like country singer that like was in full support for like black lives matter or something yeah and she like she was in an interview they were like you know what's your stance on black lives matter and she was like damn straight i think black lives matter <laughs> that's not how she I mean, sounds but that's my that's my best impression we her. love her
1: and also she was like a secret uh producer of buffy the vampire slayer so if you can't love her even more <laughs> like she's literally a uh, an icon uh, a legend yeah. you know uh, Everybody loves Dolly Parton.
0: Come on. Uh, yeah. How can you not? I mean, you know, if we start <laughs> if we start rioting and take down the rich, we have to save her at all costs. Like she's exactly. She's the one we're putting to the side. Like, no, you're good. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So now, you know, my next one is a comedy. Uh, wait are we are we good are we good on a waiting text? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I don't want to move on too quick, coffee
1: No, no. I think I think we nailed everything I wanted to say about that. You all know. Right. Um... Go see if you haven't seen it. Go see. I think it's on Hulu. I think it's streaming on Hulu.
0: I will look into this. I, you know, I didn't know if it was my bag, but I will try anything once. And you know, obviously, if it obviously if it has your recommendation, I will look into it. <laughs> um, and I'm well aware of it too. Um, so my number two for the night, or yeah, it would be my number two, no matter if we're going back three, two, one, or one, two, three. Um, is a comedy. It's a satire and I love satire. I, ah, oh, I love satire. I, 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 you know, anything from South park to, I don't know what else is really satire, but, um, this came Theory out. Movie? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's kind of spoof. Maybe. I, I don't spoof, know. Yeah. That's more of a spoof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, this came out in 1987 and it's directed by Richard Townsend and uh, Townsend. Mm. I say it too fast, but, um, So I actually found out after the fact, he self-financed this movie. He made it for $100,000 on like credit cards and whatnot. And it's a very famous, very well-known Hollywood shuffle.
1: Hi, my name is Robert Townsend and it's hard to make a movie in Hollywood, but I did with the help of a few friends and a few credit cards. What's the line? I
2: ain't got no weapons. Ah. I ain't be got
1: no weapons. My film's about making it as an actor in Hollywood. The only role they're gonna let us do is a slave, a butler, or some street hood or something. Don't sell out, brother.
2: Oh, the promised land.
1: Minnesota? But the real trick is finding a juicy role when the odds are against you. Good luck, brother. <laughs> what we're looking for is an Eddie Murphy
0: type. What is happening with your cool vines? Thank you. Thank you. You're the
1: worst actor I've
2: ever seen in my
0: life. Then they said I wasn't black enough for the part. Ricky, can you tell us what you've been doing
1: since you've graduated? Well, Robert, I've played nine crooks, four gang leaders, two dope dealers. i played a rapist twice. Whoa. That was fun. They'll never play the Rambos until they stop playing the Yeah. I I just want to be me. I I don't want to be Eddie Murphy.
0: He's the one we want.
1: I just (laughs) want (laughs) to...
0: Hollywood Shuffle. Now that was a good movie. I love this
1: movie. It was
0: genius. Go see it today, please. Because I got to pay off these credit cards. Tell your friends about it. Lots of friends. Your cousins, your hey, aunts, boy. your uncles,
1: maybe your ex-wife. Take a bum to the
0: movies.
2: Go see Hollywood Shuffle today, please.
0: An independent film that like i just said uh he self-financed even says it in the trailer like you know he's sitting on a couch everything and everything he's like please go see this movie my my credit card bills are due and whatnot (laughs) and (laughs) and they like shut the lights (laughs) off on him and everything like yeah uh it's it's so um I, i just love the little vignette sketches that go throughout this movie Uh, Basically, the the general plot is, it's pretty much a commentary or a satire on uh, Black actors in the 1980s. Um, And, you know, just kind of that, you know, this is throughout the 1960s and 70s, you know, and obviously past when this movie was made, throughout the 80s into the 90s. Um, I honestly would say up until recently, unfortunately, uh, African-American, Latinos (laughs) just being cast as criminals, you know pimps uh what other you know gang members murderers just the the evil oh yeah the evil characters um and pretty much uh, richard townsend just uh, kind of got sick and tired of like taking auditions for you know gang member number 3 and <laughs> and you know he got some sort of he got you know got some sort of clout in the industry and i actually also found this out that uh keenan ivory wayans who's in the movie also is a co-writer on it i believe yeah and he is in one of the little vignette sketches um i'll get into what i mean by that in a minute uh you see a young damon wayans in there also and which i didn't know i didn't know the first time i saw this but um there's a lot of little like kind of um there's a lot of a uh, known uh, african-american actors comedians in it that pop up in little cameos uh his name is yes um why is it, uh, paul mooney paul mooney pops <laughs> paul up mooney, in there yeah. in the end uh great writer for richard Pryor. uh just you know there's, there's kind of like and i feel like there's a little bit of a commentary on um Eddie Murphy, you know, cuz this is the 1980s like Eddie Murphy skyrocketed to fame and like a lot of oh, yeah. people were looking for another Eddie Murphy. And you know, mm-hmm. that's just how Hollywood works when something takes off, you know, people, you know, other people latch on and try to exploit it and make some money off of it. So Eddie Murphy became such a mm-hmm. icon in this decade that they they bring up eddie murphy a couple times there's casting directors that are just like you know can he talk like eddie murphy can he do this the white casting directors and producers and directors are fucking hilarious some of them are actual comedians uh there's a comedian don irera who's one of like the directors um of the movie that they um cast richard Townsend in Um, but pretty much the, the movie has a a linear plot it's about you know he's this actor and you know it all starts with he's going for this audition and you know he goes into this big waiting room full of a ton of african-american actors all auditioning for you know criminals and whatnot and you know they're all like working on their lines and it's all like i'm gonna cut you motherfucker like they're like oh how was that that was good let's try it again (laughs) like and there's this <laughs> one funny scene where they're all sitting in front of the casting directors, and one guy, and they just do like little cuts of you know just you know these people coming in and out, and one guy's like, you know, I went to Juilliard, you know, theater school and whatnot, and then he says his lines, and the lady's like, you're the worst fucking actor, the worst ever actor, ever yeah, <laughs> and his line was like, kill nice. hey, you motherfucker, like. <laughs> it, it just it, it's so funny but also kind of sad throughout the movie you go through these little kind of side stories about you know just kind of poking fun at Hollywood and how they're treating black actors and I think one thing there's like a there's like a a, a made for TV movie he's watching at home with his girlfriend and it's like, oh, a, like noir. it's like a made for like TV noir movie detected, yeah <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's where you see Damon Wayans and like Keenan Ivory Wayans is like the bad guy who like committed a crime and he's like, Mm -hmm. you know, got all keeps on spraying his hair for Jerry curls and whatnot. There's jokes about that. Um, I mean, there's like this, there's then there's like our Raj Siskel and Ebert thing where you know it's you know I love that That they're in the theater they're reviewing these movies and they they review like Rambo. No, I think that's (laughs) later on. What was that one? Yeah. There oh then there's like attack of the pimps, and it's just like <laughs> like this group yep. of pimps are just zombies attacking prostitutes, <laughs> and yeah, Chicago guess, Jones. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> my favorite one is the black acting school. And it is that was so funny. It is rich Richard Townsend, like there it starts wow, with like Robert. it's supposedly like a Robert. Sorry, Rob. Yeah. Oh my god, I re- shit Uh, (laughs) if I said Richard through this whole thing I think I did uh Robert Townsend that's because I wrote down Richard god damn it it's okay (laughs) so there's like a there's a little excerpt in the beginning with um a scene from like a made-up movie where it's you know slaves supposedly running away and everything and Robert Townsend kind of plays like the butler and then they cut to like I guess what's supposed to be like a commercial for the black acting school and it's these white guys like teaching the actors jive and like how to walk like a black guy. And it's just, it's so funny, but you're like, Oh my God, this has to be fucking true. If he's making a movie like this, where he's poking fun at this, you know, he's encountered like casting directors where it's like, no, no, that's not how a pimp walks. (laughs) And yeah, there's so many great moments. Um, but it all has this culmination because he gets this role in this movie where he basically basically plays a pimp or like leader of a gang or something. And he kind of starts to have this crisis of character. Is he, he wants to be, you know, he wants to make it as an actor, but is he really doing right by his morals and who he is and, you know, what he stands for? It all kind of culminates when he has to, when he gets the part and he shows up on the shoot and, like, he's getting direction from, uh, you know, producers and directors going, oh, excuse mm-hmm. me, you're not acting black enough. And it's so <laughs> cringe. And, you know, it's getting to him. And, like, his family comes to set. And like, I guess it's his little brother there. And yeah. the scene he's acting in is his little brother's been murdered. And, like, it's actually pretty powerful and poignant. You know, like, he looks over at his actual little brother. And, you know, he just realizes, you know, I can't do this. Like, fuck this. He takes his fake afro off they all have these stupid afro wigs on (laughs) and you know he quits and it's just it it kind of comes full circle and just has a great message throughout the the comedy and the satire and the funny thing Mm -hmm. is once the credits roll there's this there's this funny uh uh, like almost like a sounds like a, a song from like a children's television show about like you know black actors and what we really want to do and you know you know who's actually the same people that have inspired you have also inspired me (laughs) it's just so funny and so good so eye-opening and for you know 1987 you know i I don't know how this movie did when it came out i think it was very independent but yeah it um, made like a lot of money though yeah, I'm sure it did. Like, I'm sure it like almost six million dollars on a hundred thousand dollar budget. That's a fucking hell of a profit. <laughs> yeah, um, you said you saw it. Like, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts were. So,
1: yeah, I've heard this movie. I have never seen it till last night. It's because you told me it was going to be on the list, and I was like, okay, I got to watch it. Like, I got to be able to talk about it. Um, and the fact that it was so like on point, still. Because I remember graduating from college. I was a theater major in college. And during my senior thesis presentation when I was graduating, the <laughs> my professor, it's not funny, but it's actually funny now. Uh, he was like, you know, you're going to be playing like, you know, thugs and prisoners and robbers when you get out of here. And I was just like, my uh, confidence was just went from like hundred to like a twenty five, um, and then you know moving in, and moving to New York and, and pursuing this full time, you know it's it's fine. That's why I started making my own work, right? But yeah. um, just you not know, auditioning for those stupid ass you know one liners on the, the thug and the 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 robber and it, it, it's still still happening, you know it's still happening. So watching that movie, I was like, wow, this is like. 30 years later right almost 40 years later and it's still still happening Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I was just gonna say and I just loved that um this is like like a little bit off topic but I just love that Robert Townsend had a vision right and 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 this is before obviously right before it was like a YouTube and before TikTok and everything he was able to like okay I'm gonna make this movie He's an, I'm an actor and I want to direct and I'm not getting the parts that I want. I'm gonna put all my money and all my 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 time, and energy to making this and it paid off for him. Mm-hmm. You know it really was a, a huge risk he took and to be at the forefront of, a, of what a, a a writer, director, actor, producer, content creator type person mm-hmm. all the way back in the 80s like that is it, so adm- admirable and like I'm just so blown away by it by that movie. Yeah. So thank you for right now. Oh, you're welcome. No, I I've, I've
0: always <laughs> I've always loved this movie. I've turned it on to people um, and they've loved it too. It's it, it's a fun little independent film and I feel like, you know, you don't hear a lot about independent films from like the 80s. Like there's just so much stuff coming out through like studios and whatnot. I feel like I was going to say something because all right, to parallel your um, you getting told you're going to get offers to play thugs and whatnot. (laughs) I actually sat in on an audition. I was for a movie that never got, well, it started to get made, but never got finished. I was an AD on a film. Um, We were casting in Boston and there, some, somebody came in and it was, it was for, um, it was for a thug character. And honestly, we made it we made it a point to say like we're looking for anybody to fill this kind of role and like (laughs) i remember one of the producers on the film giving direction slight during the person's rate that you know the, the the actor he was he was black giving him and this guy giving direction was white 40 year old guy white guy you know basically he didn't say word for word what they're telling actors in this movie to do with being more black but like he was kind of like that's not like inner city thug enough yeah and i'm just i remember just like (laughs) just like across the table i was like fuck (laughs) yeah and i remember actually like like, yikes i I caught up with that dude uh i won't say anybody's name but like i caught up with that dude like after the uh the um audition. And I was just like, look, like, I want to let you know you did a really good job and don't take direction like that. <laughs> like like <laughs> we'll call you yeah. if we want you, but like it's okay if you want to say no. Um, yeah, no, I've been, the I've, mics, but
1: um yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been there like, <laughs> oh. I've been told because I wear glasses, like, oh, like, oh, thugs don't wear glasses, like like, oh, okay. So like I've been told by my man, my manager, like, you know, at the time, like, don't wear glasses, or like, you know, or you're speaking too proper like (laughs) like, okay that's how i speak that
0: sucks dude uh on behalf of white people i'm sorry (laughs) but uh all right let's uh let's jump ahead here um we both each have one more pick but we do have some honorable mentions we can just plow through so oh yeah what i like i don't know how many you got but any honorable mentions uh are welcome
1: yeah. I mean, we should just do this episode again, like, cause I have so many, but, um, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I gotta say like, get out. I love horror and I think you love horror as well. Oh yeah. I got a
0: horror one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, I had to include that Jordan Peele literally, uh, is, is, a, is a, is a creative genius in the way he really, he really, uh, just had all these kind of very specific and very, uh, research things he put into that movie you know like from the fucking cotton in, in the chair mm. where he's picking out you know it's just like so many little like little things that I was just like was so blown away and it's like his references to other horror films but like putting this like black lens on it was so inspiring and I was like okay I have to put Get Out on here and I was like but I mean we're all gonna probably we all know about Get Out so I chose not to put on the main list um uh, Black Panther, I also had like, you know, it's not the same reason why we've all seen Black Panther, but I'll never forget that cultural experience of going to the theater and seeing that and how proud the black community was of that yeah. movie. You know, and like my sister who like does not care about superhero movies, like going to see Black Panther, you know, it's blue and see Black Panther. It was so special about that time. I think it was also like right during the Trump time. So to have yeah. that kind of like celebratory time. Get,
0: get out real quick, just that actually, mm-hmm. Came out the day of his inauguration. Did it really? Yeah, I, or did the week it? of it came out, and I think mm-hmm. like I feel like that's just another thing that made it hit so well. Like people that opposed him saw yeah. a movie like this. Fuck yeah, I'm gonna go see it. Like so, yeah.
1: yeah. And then I was at Queen and Slim on here. I um, still have not and, seen
0: that, but
1: um, oh, it's on my radar. That's that's one. I yeah, it's it's a it's a very. I think it's kind of a divisive movie in the community, in the Black community, but I feel like what Queen of Slim represents is something really uh, awesome to see, mm-hmm. uh, if you haven't seen it. And then Black Klansman was also one I was like, ah, oh, I love this movie so much and, like, I, I'm, like, a bad Spike Lee uh, fan because I've only seen maybe, like, five of his films so like one of my goals of this year actually was to like watch them all from beginning to end Mm -hmm. there's so many good ones i haven't seen um but that's also when i was just like i loved that movie so much and it came out also during that 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 very heightened time of um you know political and social justice unrest
0: yeah um no, shut but, up now. Those are my honorable mentions. Okay, that's a perfect jumping off point because Black Klansman is in my honorable mention too. Oh, good, yeah. Uh, I would say that's like my third favorite Spike Lee movie. Malcolm X yeah. is a close second in the first one I'm going to talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, everybody likes, I, I've heard, not everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but like I've heard people are like, yeah, Spike Lee, I don't think he likes white people. And I'm like, I don't think you really <laughs> listen to Spike Lee's, you don't really listen to what Spike Lee's saying in his movies
1: um is it that that part <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: but black klansman to me like spike lee hadn't really been making movies on like a big level he he, he does like mm. between big movies like he'll do like two or three small things that i think oh, still oh, yeah. hit but don't get a lot of recognition but um so black klansman comes out i didn't see it in theaters i didn't get to see it till maybe it started getting like oscar mm. nominations Mm-hmm. Uh no, nah, actually I saw it before then. Sorry. Um, but <laughs> I love how that movie was such like it felt like a big studio film. Like For Blumhouse sure, yeah. was involved in it. Uh, Universal, I think, released it. There's just a lot of big name actors. Seeing Topher Grace.
1: Oh my God, he was so as good
0: the in that. as the lead, the founder of the KKK. Oh, KKK. I was like, <laughs> st- at first, I'm like, that sounds like a miscast. But once you see it, you're like. Wow! All right, You're phenomenal. <laughs> um, but one thing I love about that movie is like it's it felt like such a big movie, and I you know it you'd think like yeah, it's like a perfect perfect for Spike Lee to do something like that. But I'm like, but is it gonna feel like a movie that feels like a paycheck for him? Because sometimes like he 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 was the director on the remake of Old Boy with Josh Brolin, and he I just oh yeah. I don't think that really worked at all, but that felt like just kind of a, a paycheck for him.
2: Mm-hmm. And I was just
0: like, I hope we still get Spike Lee's fingerprint on this movie. And yeah. once you and you do throughout it, but what really makes it hit for me is when they show the footage of Charlottesville. Like mm-hmm. after the credits, I was like, okay, this is definitely this is this is a hundred percent a Spike Lee film. This is yeah. He's getting to get his message across because he does that. He, he he always ends a lot of his, you know, films that he does like these with just kind of that stamp of like, you know, are we going to live together in harmony? Or are we going to do shit like this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that footage is so still true. Fucking brutal to watch. And um, Awful. to move off of Black Klansman uh, back into a horror film. And... this isn't necessarily like promoted, like worldwide as this, you know, as, you know, as this, uh, as black cinema or whatever we're calling it. Um, Mm -hmm. But night of the living dead,
1: 1968. Oh
0: yeah. Um, But this has been adopted by African-American culture and, you know, you know, filmmakers, Mm -hmm. Jordan Peele, you know, spoke highly of this film. And I mean, this is an iconic piece of cult cinema, but um, yeah. for 19, you know, everybody knows when night of the living dead. I don't need to. Everybody knows what night <laughs> of the living dead is, but I don't think people read through the lines and the movie is about, you know, is about kind of the tension of like the civil rights movement in the 1960s. And, you know, how we're really, yes, there's zombies or whatever the living dead yeah. walking around. But if you like watch this movie and the characters and how they talk to each other in that house, and just like it's like, come on, can you fucking get along? And like mm-hmm. to cast a to cast a black actor in the lead role in 1968, even though it was an independent film, was a little unheard yeah. at the time, especially unhurting, in the yeah. horror genre. Um, this and you—they've interviewed uh, George Romero before, and he likes to say mm-hmm. when he cast uh, Dwayne Jones in that role. Um, he goes like, oh, he was just the perfect guy for the role. But like a lot of people know George Romero and his politics and how progressive he was with the messages he was trying to put in his films. They're going, there's no way he just cast him because yeah. he was the man for that role. Like he had to go like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stir things up a little bit here. No, that's uh, true. So I, I just, I think Night of the Living Dead's really kind of, like I said, doesn't it's not the forefront of this kind of genre, but I think um, it's been adopted. I feel by and filmmakers and people of color
1: it has and also like i i hate when people usually people like living in their parents basement on reddit um always like oh i hate horror now it's like it's so woke like everyone's trying to be woke like i was reading like stuff about scream and then people say stuff about J- like jordan peele and i'm like have you not been around the past like 50 60 years like, yeah like, horror Film in general is always above the time. You know, it's always time or good it is good film and good good horror is like always timely. It's about what's yeah, happening the, during that
0: era. Whenever there's a lot, whenever there's society in the middle of unrest or whatever, whenever we're going through some crazy shit, horror is always doing good. That's why yeah. I did good during the Trump administration. But anyway, um <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, all right, so that's our honorable mentions. Um, I think it's time. Let's pick our uh, let's pick our big one for the night. Yes, you're up first. Um,
1: okay, my big one of the night had to be had to be a little film called La La Land. No, just kidding. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just (laughs) kidding. It's actually Moonlight.
0: I, i've seen it twice i, I want to watch it again uh yeah i, I was it. trying to watch
1: it before Beautiful. last night it's a gorgeous 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 film. i was trying to watch it last night but um i just didn't have time and it wasn't i don't think it's i think i have to buy it buy it and i was like i can't buy another movie <laughs> i was like i bought some of my own movies last night but um if you don't know which i hope most people do know that uh it's a 2016 coming of age drama Uh, written and directed by Barry Jenkins, based on a play that was, I guess, unpublished, which I just found out pretty recently, called um, In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. It uh, tells a story of a young Black man in three different stages or chapters of his life and how, uh, I guess, I guess let's just read what I wrote, explores difficulties he faces with uh, just, like, growing growing up and and what society has on society's expectations on a black man right and a black man who is struggling with his sexuality as well uh it stars i lost my place it stars maybe you can edit this down because i'm like stuttering so much <laughs> <laughs> um where is the fucking thing okay the film stars <laughs> Travante rose Andre Holland, Janelle Monae, Jerelle Jerome, Naomi Harris, and the incredible, of course, Mahershala Ali. Yes. We talked about a little bit earlier. (laughs) Green Book was his follow up to this. (laughs) (laughs) Insane, right? Um, But yeah, I mean, it's it's just a really, really beautiful, timely, honest, well-made film. And I think I was watching something with Barry Jenkins uh, to prepare for this. And he was talking about how, you know, he wanted to bring the hood to our house, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was incredible. And I really wish I was going after your next one, but you know, how important music, the music in this, I, I'll bring it up after we do your next one, but like the music in this is so classical, right? It's yeah. a class a lot of strings, the violins, which is, it's just so different from what you're seeing on screen, right? Because typically in a very urban, very Black neighborhoods, you don't hear that kind of music, right? And it kind of, it kind of, uh, it kind of is a juxtaposition to what the lead character, Little, John and Black, all, all the same person, but they call by different names in different parts of the movie, are going through. As well as like, you know, he's, he's very intentional with like the cinematography and the vibrant colors of Miami, which, which I think most of the film takes place in. And yeah. having that kind of gritty, that gritty look, but it's also very beautiful to look at at the same time and how he throws, literally he throws the camera in the middle of all this action. You know, the scene where uh, Zewan Mahershala Ali's characters is is teaching Little how to swim and they're like floating in the water and like the camera is like right there in the middle of it. You know, when uh, Little is like fighting with his mom, the camera is right there in the middle of them. It's not like looking at them from the side. You're like right in the middle of this. also, like uh, a big thing that he was talking about was that, like you know, the the camera also provides safety because, like, the camera represents like little at some point. So, like, when little is interacting with his mom or with, with the bullies, you know, there's a lot of like freehand, kind of shaky camera movements. But when, it, when he's with Juan and I think Janell character is Teresa, you know, the camera moves so swiftly and so beautifully, and it's like it gives us as little, like you know, the 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 comfort and uh, the safety that we're looking for. And I'm just like, this movie is so brilliantly made and and it's well acted and it's well written and it's honest. And it's like so important as a a queer Black person to have something like that kind of represent you. Um, One of my friends before it came out was like, have you seen Moonlight? And I was like, oh, I'm like, I heard of it. He's like, no, this is your movie. You gotta go see this movie. is true and I was like a little annoyed by that and then i was still like a little annoyed after because it's not my movie of course just like (laughs) as a queer black person there's like some some commonalities in it but like I think me and and Sharon have completely different lives and experiences um but uh I think for what it is it's such an important film and I'm so happy that it was so well received and and won that Oscar right and uh it made a lot of money at the box office compared to its budget too
0: yeah it, it was a it was a little movie so it was kind of cool you know obviously there's the flub famous flub at the oscars where they say la la land <laughs> one and then like everybody from la yeah. la land gets on stage so awkward then, <laughs> yeah like that, had to, that i mean that had to be awkward but it, so it, awkward it really was an oh shit moment and I, I i think i feel like i saw it i didn't see it before the oscars i got around to it mm. very shortly after and I went in blind. I, mm-hmm. I, I had no idea what I was getting into. I had no idea what the movie really was even about. I just I was like, oh, best picture winner. Okay. And once that scene on the beach happens, I remember going and it beautiful, one of the most well lit beach mm-hmm. scenes I've ever seen. Yeah, it's so um, gorgeous. Good God, man! That is just that, the cinematography, and that just incredible. And the way like what, they shot like
1: black skin too. It's yeah,
0: just so beautiful. Um, I it just once you know once what happens on that beach happens, I go, oh, okay, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I, I went back and watched it two or three more times just to study it. It's just a great. It, it's I almost say it's like. It's poetry. The movie's poetry. The movie is visual, visual poem, poetry. Right? Yeah, yes, it, it is. There's yep. Just something about it. <laughs> it. It feels like a. It feels like a very soft song that you sing to someone. I don't know. Like that, just it puts me. It's a movie that puts me at ease. It has a very calm tone to it, even in kind of very, you know, crazy moments. Not. I don't want to say crazy is not the word, but just kind of dramatic. Yeah. moments, I should say. Um I'm crazy. I
1: mean, his mom is pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> um it, it's a it's just a beautiful little movie. I I I, I want to revisit it again. I recently watched his follow-up, um, which maybe I should have put in my honorable mentions, but I almost put oh, it Beale on Street. my list. Beale Street. Yeah. Oh my god, I I fucking yeah. love if Beale Street guitar. That's just another, and it, it's kind of that same tone and that feel. It's just a very calming soothing i guess that's just kind of um, his style um yeah the way he like
1: like he wrote these men like i feel like usually you know like men in general right don't get to have those kind of like intimate moments so get to like be emotional and feel and they like little has the scenes with juan that's like you know he's like a father figure to him right yeah and like the scene at the table where he, he you know i don't want to spoil it for people if you haven't seen it but he asked him that question like am i uh he uses the f word derogatory f word um just that how how juan like responds to him and like cares for him and like that the scenes in the on the beach and the water it, it's just this relationship between them is so beautiful and so honest. And it's like, you know, it's a like father son, you know, he's not his father, but has a kind of like, like that kind of, uh, that kind of like tones to it. And then his relationship with Kevin, you know, as he gets older, like that scene on the beach, you know, this innocent kind of like love, right? Blossoming. But it's like, it's like, oh, can we do this or is this happening? But it's like so like beautiful and, and innocent and, and sincere. And then to see that reflection. I'm sorry, it's kind of a spoiler, but when they're older again, like, I'm sorry, but like they have like, they have moments when they're older, I will say, and uh, to see, you know, like Black men being vulnerable and, and intimate and, and sincere and genuine and beautiful with each other was uh, uh, just so, just so fulfilling and so needed, especially when you think about the time when it comes out, right, 2016, where it's also like. A lot of black men unarmed black men being killed and that that whole like thing in the media and then constantly seeing as a black person as a black man seeing that always in the media you know like i don't think any other kind of other people don't see like that all the time about their race like you don't just see like white men being killed like on the news like every day for like years like non-stop in cycles so like to have that but then have the reflection of this movie where there's like you know, this showing Black men being sensitive and light and loving and, and, and intimate. is just I can't talk about it enough. <laughs> like I would just no. to meet Barry Jenkins and, and just talk to him about it and and thank him, really.
0: No, I feel you. I I think it's good that we're going in a direction to now where we're seeing more films mm. like that, We'd you know, to go back to Hollywood Shuffle. We're, we're seeing less and less of movies where Black men and women are being cast as those kind of characters, and you get something like Moonlight. It's just this beautiful art film, basically, that gets Best Picture at the Oscars. Yeah, yeah, I definitely really i I gotta track it down. I I definitely want to revisit again. It's definitely a movie I want to probably revisit every few years. So,
1: yeah, I feel like that was on Showtime too. That was like I think I went to it last night to watch it, and it was like an app called Canopy. Yes, if you have a library card.
0: You can get, but yeah, but my
1: library card didn't work on
0: it. Mine was, like, fucking rapist. didn't either. Like, I hate Florida. Like, it's <laughs> Fuck you, like Florida. in Bridgeport, Connecticut,
1: and people in Bridgeport definitely need that. So I wrote them, I was like, hello, Bridgeport, Connecticut, they need that. We need this in this community. I almost, like, why did... is this not available?
0: I almost did it too to like my county library down here, and I was just <laughs> like, they're not gonna respond to this email. Like, <laughs> now we're not gonna link up with some streaming service. Fuck you. <laughs>
1: Um, but if you do have it, they they stream really beautiful, like yeah. I guess more artsy type films for free if you have a library card.
0: I don't know if they do anymore, but I think initially when it was conceived, all of A24's catalog at the time went oh, up on wow. Canopy. I don't know if it's still like that, but as of like three, four years ago, that was a thing. So yeah, uh, Moonlight is an A24 movie, I believe. I don't know. It is. Yeah. But, okay.
1: They have the yeah. best movies. Like Minari was like one of my favorite movies. I up. Seen oh my god! I've been it's slightly off topic, game. but <laughs> the movie is so beautiful. It's another one that just like literally like made almost made me cry watching the trailer. Like what? Like what is it about those like trailers that they have? It's like <laughs> cuts you deep. You're just like oh my gosh. Anyway,
0: I want to uh, hear your number one if you have one. Number one for me. Number one for me. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, Number one for me is a given for this, for what we're talking about here tonight. It's been, I think it's on AFIs, if not top 100, maybe even top 50, maybe even top 20. I I don't know anymore. I don't keep track of that. Uh, This is the movie and it's not his first movie. I think he made one or two out of film. It's the second. I think it's the second, Uh, but this was the one that shot Spike Lee into the stratosphere. And establish him as just like the next big thing Uh, when i think of new york filmmakers um respectfully to spike lee i think of martin scorsese as the definitive new york filmmaker but i would say spike lee is a close second a very close second and i think you Mm -hmm. could even debate spike lee to be even the definitive new york filmmaker we'll debate that after they're both long gone (laughs) um but uh do the right thing
1: Pictures presents a new film from Spike Lee.
2: Good
1: morning, Miss Mother sister.
2: Now, Mookie, don't work too hard today. The man says it's going to be hot as the devil. I've been here
1: 25 years, and Sal's famous
2: pizzeria is here to stay. Trust me. Mookie, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. I
0: know you can't stand it, you can't stand it. Hey, hey, Sal, I'm going to put the brothers on the wall here. You want brothers on the wall? Love. It's your own place. You can do what you want to do. What'd I tell you about that noise? What'd I tell you about that picture, Give us what we want. Y'all to give
1: us You called some brother talk to You the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. The first time you turn your back, boom. Right here, man, in the back. Y'all take a chill. you like to sign a petition to boycott oh. Sal's famous pizzeria? Hear me, what you ought to do is boycott that no good barber that messed up your head. And that's the
2: double truth. You know, deep down the people wish you were black. <laughs> Who told you to step on my
1: sneakers? Who told you to walk on my side of the block? Who told you to be in my neighborhood? I own this brownstone. Who told you to buy a brownstone on my block, in my neighborhood, on my side of the street? I can't even hear myself think! From Spike Lee.
2: Director of school days, and she's gotta have it. Good people, please!
1: If we don't stop this now, and stop it now, we gonna do something we gonna regret for the rest of our lives. Doctor, come on, what? What? Always do the right thing.
0: That's it. That's it. I got it. I'm gone. I mean, what more can I say about it that I'm not about to say? I mean, what more hasn't been said about it that I'm about to say right now? This is landmark uh, in just filmmaking and like a new style. Like, I don't think you really, I'm sure Spike Lee's inspired by millions of things as any yeah. filmmaker is. But like, I don't think, I don't know. I, I just, I don't think anybody really saw anything like this, at least not for a while when Do the Right Thing came out. Um so, you know, just to kind of go into the basic plot of this, for anybody that doesn't know what Do the Right Thing is about, <laughs> um, Do the Right Thing is pretty much about a, a day in the life of a neighborhood. Uh, and, um, it's Bed-Stuy, I believe, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's Bed-Stuy. Yeah, and, um, and it's about a racially tense, tense neighborhood, basically. There is an Italian pizza shop in the middle of this um, neighborhood Uh, predominantly African-American. There are some Latino characters in there as well. And um, obviously Rosie Perez has an iconic uh, opening dance number in the opening credits of the movie, which I was, when I was rewatching it, like I I knew this going in, I guess while they were filming it, (laughs) like, like Rosie Perez, like was just kind of getting exhausted doing it. (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. You can Kind of tell in some of the shots it, and she's dancing to, you know, Fight the Power by Public Enemy, which is heard mm-hmm. nonstop in this movie. And yeah. um, it's pretty much just the anthem of the, the film. But she's doing a dance number to it. And I guess I heard Spike Lee is off camera doing the dance number with her. Just to <laughs> yeah. kind of keep her motivated during the, <laughs> during the shoot of that thing. Um, it's hilarious. But it, this is, um, yeah, it's about pretty much a day in this neighborhood. And there's just so many just phenomenal characters throughout it so many great actors in this movie um it's like the hottest day right it's like, it's like it's like the hottest day of the year in in new york uh-huh. city it's like 100 plus degrees and you feel it like you, you feel, it feel, the feel how hot it is on that day because they actually shot yeah. it in the summer in new york and you lived in new york i've been in new york in the summer new york mm-hmm. city gets fucking hot in the summer it does um yeah. And, you know, especially if you are living in a kind of neighborhood like, you know, everybody that is living in this neighborhood is kind of going through, is mm-hmm. dealing with. Um, yeah, like just some of the the cast in this movie. Um, obviously, Spike Lee plays Mookie. Uh, you know, I'd say there's like a lot of main characters and supporting characters, but they all really get their due on screen. There's, it's a great ensemble. There's like 22 characters, I think. <laughs> In this movie, and they and most of them have a character arc. Like, most of yeah. them have a beginning, middle, and end in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the great Ossie Davis is in there with Ruby D, and they just oh have... my god, this, they're
1: phenomenal. They
0: have this great, like, story between the two of them. Um, This mm-hmm. little love story that, you know, she's kind of crabby to him, but he's, like, head over heels in love with her, and, like, he's getting her flowers and shit, and she doesn't want him, but like, they just have this beautiful story. And those are just two iconic actors. Um, mm. I love Aussie. Anything Aussie Davis has been in. I watch. Uh, yeah. I could go on a tangent about him, but um, <laughs> I won't. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Martin Lawrence shows up in there as kind of like this background. His first movie. Yeah, it was like his first movie. He's in there and he doesn't really, he has lines, but like, he's just kind of like, you know, in this group of friends. Um mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorites, John uh, Carlo Esposito, in there. And he is like kind of like the neighborhood activist um, mm-hmm. in the movie who kind of, I'll get into him in just a minute. But, um, Am I forgetting anybody? Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting. Um, yeah, you're missing John Turturro. John Turturro, yeah. Danny. Oh, I was getting to the <laughs> the, the Italians. All oh, the, the Italians. <laughs> but John um, <laughs> Turturro's in there. Dan, uh, Danny Iello. Aie- I can never say his name. Danny Iello is in there as Sal, who runs the pizza shop. John Turturro is his mm-hmm. son, and then he has another son in there. I don't know the actor's name off the top of my head. Um, they are running a pizza shop in a completely black neighborhood for the most part. And there is just so much tension between, um, them in their pizza shop and anybody else that comes in there. And for the first 20 minutes of the movie, you know, I don't know if I want to start there now, I'll start there for the first 20 minutes of the movie, you know, you're just kind of hanging out with these characters. You're getting to know the lay of the land and the neighborhood and whatnot, and you know it's entertaining, but you can kind of sense maybe some what is going on underneath the surface. And what really sparks that off is that pizza slice scene with um, Bugging Out is his character's name, John Carlos Esposito's character. He comes yeah. in and he first thing he does is he complains about the price of like the slice of pizza and like <laughs> you know uh, how much for extra cheese. And it seems like you know there's a it seems like his character really gets to sal like sal can kind of manage Mm. anybody else who kind of comes at him when mookie kind of gives him a hard time yeah i'll I'll, I'll get into their dynamic in a minute um but like when bugging out comes up to him like he just loses it it's almost like he just turns into angry old white guy with him and Mm -hmm. i learned something about or i don't I notice things when I watch this movie. I notice new things once I watch this movie every time. And Sal is a character that's very prominent, but I feel like I didn't really pay attention to him enough um, in previous viewings because I feel like he is such a very complex character, and you he know, is. he 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 really is. He's I think he's trying to be a peacemaker at times. Mm -hmm. there is a scene about halfway in when he's sitting down with John Turturro's character, who reminds me of a lot of people who I grew up with who are full-blown closeted racists. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You know, he he definitely, he's definitely, he's definitely a straight up racist, but I feel like he thinks it's kind of funny. And John Turturro is great in the movie. And um. They have this scene where it's father and son sitting down talking and he has this just kind of, he's giving him these fatherly advices and trying to calm him down because John Turturro wants to move this pizza shop. He thinks nobody likes them in the neighborhood and Sal is coming from more of a, you know, look, I've seen the people in this neighborhood grow old. I've seen the kids grow up. I've seen. Mm. He's the been there old- for 25 years. He's been there for 25 years. He's in and, he, and like. He has a line that almost like has, you know, a flip side to the coin that could mean two different things. He just mm. says, like, I've fed these people. And it, immediately what popped into my head is the term you people. And yeah. I just remember thinking, like, I feel like he's someone who's trying to maybe do good, but he has yeah. prejudices of his own that I don't think he's explored and tried to overcome. Of course. And I think, I think it's just a great performance, and I, I, I it's just such a standout role. And he has great chemistry when he's on screen with uh, Spike Lee as Mookie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for Spike Lee to have a, such a great performance and direct this kind of movie is and write it too. Yeah, and write it. Like, <laughs> this is just unreal. Um, but this movie, um, I'd say, around the. Um, the pizza slice scene, that's where like the match gets lit and you sense something bad is going to happen in this neighborhood. And then it turns into um, bugging out, yells about the uh, there's no black people on the wall. It's all Italian American celebrities, Frank Sinatra, John Travolta, Dean Martin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he wants to know why there's no black people on this, on the wall. And, you know, all you do, everybody who comes in here is black. Like, why can't you have some black celebrities on the wall? And I think, And, you know, Sal's argument is like, you know, I put on the wall, whoever I want to put on the wall, it's my shop. And I think Spike Lee, Mm -hmm. I got a book here um, called, let me plug it, Fun City Cinema, which is a great book about the cinema of New York City. And there's a thing about um, do the right thing in there. And Spike Lee's quoted on some things. And when it comes to this scene, he said, like, in theory, both of them are right. But both of them handle this situation in a very wrong way. And, mm-hmm. um, what follows from there when things just kind of start to unravel is there's that one small scene, um, that has to deal, I think with gentrification, it's the guy in the Larry bird Jersey, this, is this white guy who pulls up to his Brownstone. I think he scuffs bugging out sneakers and he freaks yeah. out on him. Out, have yeah. this, it's only, it's, it's pretty comical. Like they, they get in his face about it and, um, You know, he's just like, why don't you go back to Massachusetts? And he's just like, I was born and raised (laughs) in Brooklyn. They're like, oh,
1: man. Yeah, I love that scene.
0: It's such a a great scene. Um, But so just throughout the day, like just things get worse and worse in the neighborhood. And then Mm -hmm. we get to um, the big fight at the end. I feel like I don't want to break this down too much plot for plot, because if anybody hasn't seen it, even though it's one of the best movies of all time, uh, go really see it. it. It's streaming on Peacock right now. Um, yes, but we all culminate with a big all-out fight that happens at the pizza shop between Sal and his sons and Mookie and all the other younger people in the neighborhood. And radio, right? What's his name? Uh, yeah, radio, ra- radio, uh, Ready, radio, radio, uh, radio, Rahim. Is there? I should have probably mentioned him early on, but Radio Rahim's a character that walks around the neighborhood with a boombox, with a boombox bl- blasting uh, "Fight the Power." You just hear it over and over mm-hmm. again, and every time he comes in the shop, you know Sal again kind of is like triggered, freaks out. You know, old white people with loud music <laughs> I don't like that shit. <laughs> and there's a um, there's a scene with Radio Rahim in the middle of the movie. I'll, I'll get to the climax in a minute, um, where he's got the brass knuckles with the love and the hate. And just recently, and this is a testament to, I think, just Spike Lee's knowledge of film. And this is a popular movie. It's, it's been heard of by cinema snobs and whatnot. Um, it's a movie called Night of the Hunter uh, from 1955, I believe, with Robert Mincham and Robert Mitchum plays this guy who's pretty much dressed as a priest, but goes around and pretty much commits horrible acts. Uh, for a movie like nineteen, for a movie that came out in nineteen fifty five, it's actually very progressive with its message about a lot of things. Oh wow! Uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now. It's it's I, I love it. I recommend it. It's 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 cinematography wise, it is one of the best black and white movies I've ever seen. But Robert Mitchum's character has tattooed on his hands, love and hate. And he kind of gives the speech that, I mean, it's originally from Night of the Hunter, but Radio Rahim kind of gives that love and hate speech from this movie. And I didn't realize it. I was just kind of like, oh, he got that from, oh, dude, Spike Lee knows his shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the climax of the film, a big brawl bit breaks out and Radio Rahim is killed. And all of a sudden it, it just, it just, you know, the police show up and, you know, the police are obviously, you know, very much not laked in this neighborhood. And there's very much that tension there. And, you know, they don't necessarily, they, they drag away his body and throw it in the back seat of a car. And that's the last you hear of him. Um, it's a very rough ending, and i I feel like it, I feel like it just gets tougher every time I watch it, you know with what I've been exposed to in my life and what we've what you and I have seen on the news and in the world, and how nothing is really changed in that aspect and it's really unfortunate there's a lot there's a few moments in that scene that stick out to me uh just some of the characters that are watching this happen uh they mention um it's, you know, somebody says, like, it's the same thing that happened to uh, Michael Stewart, who's killed in 1983 for graffiti. And uh, I think it was it was in New York City. And it's um, another incident. Another name that's mentioned was. Um, oh, it, it's just somebody says, like, oh, it's just like what they did. to Ele, Is it Eleanor? Is it Eleanor Bumpers or. Uh, but it's it was that incident, too, where they pretty much she was a elderly woman who was late eighty eight dollars on rent who I guess got into a argument whatnot with the police when they came to send her eviction notice and she was shot dead. So they mentioned those horrible acts. And again, here's Spike Lee giving you his opinion on things at the end of, or maybe not his opinion, but yeah, it's his opinion. His his thumbprint, his fingerprints, and his message he wants on this movie for you to know about. And Mm -hmm. it, it, you know... It just really, um, it just really strikes a chord in me every time I watch it. And like, I, I Spike Lee again, a, a great New York filmmaker. And I kind of like went back a few years, back a few decades, um, mm-hmm. to like New York in the nineteen seventies and all the stuff that was going on in there with Mayor Mayor Koch, also in the nineteen eighties, who oh, yeah. was completely like fucking racist, if you ask me. Like, you know, <laughs> he sided with like. All, you know, police that pretty much got away with stuff like this. All the time, yeah. um, I mean, I don't want to start reading off stuff. (laughs) I realize I've been going on for a while. But, you know, Spike Lee is a guy who lived through New York in the 70s and the early 80s and got to make a film. So you almost think like how bad New York City was 15 years prior to this film. I feel like this Mm -hmm. is him living through all that and having that all culmination come into this movie and oh for sure it's such an artistic statement it's like i said at the top of this what more can i say that nobody else has already said about do the right thing um just a great message at the end with i forgot to say samuel l jackson who's a radio disc jockey yeah who kind of just drops that question of like are we gonna get along are we gonna are we gonna live together and there's um Mm -hmm. I don't have the quotes off the top of my head, but there's two quotes at the end of the movie. And I, I think I heard Spike oh, Lee yeah. breaking them down. One's from Martin Luther King. Um, and it's one's from the other one's from Malcolm X. And they're slightly the same, but slightly different it, it seemed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like those two quotes just like really captured the tone of the film quite well. Do the right thing. I'm sorry. I rambled there. Do you have anything you want no. to say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you,
1: you touched on like everything. It's just a, uh such an important film and again when did that come out 1989 so that's like 30 years ago 30 something years ago and it's still relevant yeah still so relevant to today right mm-hmm. um with the i guess we're all spoiling this one with the,
0: yeah with we the, are i mean it's
1: <laughs> yeah but with the you know the murder that happens at the end it's you no know, fucking eric garner you know it's like yeah. It's, you know, it's George Floyd in twenty twenty. You know, it's there's, it's these re- repetition things that keep happening. You would a, think. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, oh, no go ahead.
0: I'm sorry, I I'm just like I have a quote that I think is going off what you're saying. There's um yeah, there's a quote in the movie. Someone just says after Radio Raheem has been killed, he says mm-hmm. he died because he had a radio. And I just immediately mm-hmm. thought of just any situation like that, like oh he. Died because he was getting cigarettes. He died because he yeah. had a bag of skittles. Um, yeah, just stuff like like it's just like, oh, wow. We are really not learning from mistakes. Yeah. And continue and sorry. at the end when when the
1: no, I mean that's exactly. And how like the cops just like take his body and throw him in the back of the car and then it's gone. You know, and it's like how often did this happen before there was these things to to get them, to, to, to film it, right? Before cameras, yeah. before camera phones. How often was that happening? Because this whole community sees that. But, you know, nothing's going to happen to those cops, you know? Um, I, I just love, I love that, obviously, but I just love how, like, it's like, damn, we're still here. We haven't learned from this yet. This movie has been so important, and it's, it's been such a touchstone of, of modern filming, a modern film, and we still haven't learned from it yet. And I loved also, I mean, there were so many things I loved about it, but also like the whole gentrification thing again, which is like a common theme in a lot of the movies we talked about tonight. Um, but like- It's going on a lot you know. Now, so. Yeah, I mean, it's still happening. And, and, and the fact that in this black, in this predominantly black and Hispanic Latino neighborhood, the black and the Latino people don't own anything. You know, there's the white guy who comes in, who's from Brooklyn, but obviously he's not from bed who, who owns a brownstone, right? The Italians they own that pizza shop. There's and I, I hope I'm not wrong because they call them Koreans in the movie. Because I hope they're really Koreans and we're just calling whatever. But the Korean Asian family who own the shop also they own that in this community as well. But that, they're not part of that community either, right? But they own stuff. The yeah. black and the brown people in this community don't don't own anything. And to see like how that is still happening today as well, you know. And and it brought me to this quote I was thinking about because during 2020 when you know, the Black Lives Matter protests were happening and, and all the riots were happening and all the looting was happening. And there was this video of this woman named Kimberly Jones and she was talking about the contract. You ever see that one? She was talking about how the contract has been broken. She was from um, Tulsa. I think not from Tulsa, but she was from um, Minnesota, Minneapolis, where the riot, where mm. the main riots were happening. and she's talking I probably about did, how, but I like, saw
0: so many videos. So, so much stuff,
1: yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it, it reminded me of like, why Mookie throws the fucking garbage through the window, right? Because she's talking about how, like, Black people have done everything we're supposed to do, right? We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? In Tulsa, and they bombed it. In, in other places, you know, we had we had, a, we had our own communities in New York and that got displaced, you know, Central Park got displaced, you know? So, like, we've been trying to do this. We've been trying to build wealth and to lift ourselves up by our bootstraps, how they always say we, how we don't and we need to. But every time we do that, the contract gets broken. We get fucked over. So people are mad because Black people don't own anything. We don't get the chance to own anything. So that's why riots happen. Not saying it's correct. Not saying it's right. You know, I'm not having an opinion on that right now. But like, that's why it happens because all these businesses that they come, people come in and they just buy up stuff where we can't buy it. We can't use our resources. And we just like giving money to other people's communities which I thought was so, so uh, interesting. And then at the yeah. end, sorry, I'll, I'll make it really quick, when after they, just destroyed, they destroyed the pizza shop, they <laughs> turn around to the Korean shop, and the Koreans who have been racist as fuck, right, throughout the whole movie as well, looking down on the on the people in the neighborhood, right, the whole movie, they're like, oh, no, 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 we're yeah. black too, like, <laughs> and it's like, not funny, but it's funny, and it's like, wow, it's like, holy shit. You know, because they don't want no smoke. They're like, oh, we're like you now. But the whole other time we've seen them, they've been looking down on the community, right? Looking looking down on them and and, and not being a part of the community, not being actively a part of the community, just like they're outsiders that are selling to the community. I don't know, there were so many themes in that film that just blew me away. And like you said, there's so many characters, but they all, or most of them have an arc.
2: Mm -hmm. And I was
1: like, this is great writing, great filmmaking. Like when we see Radio Rahim, right? The camera's constantly like looking up at him, right? He's supposed yeah. to be this imposing figure. And I'm just like, it really makes you feel like you're. I, I, I love stuff like that. I love him for yeah. Like, do that. They throw you into it.
0: That, that, you for, feel any, like, hot. for any, for any, yeah, for any first time viewer, like, I feel like a real turning point in the movie. Um, You've just kind of been following this, this story. For about 40 minutes, but I think it's like the 48 minute mark is where they do those cuts of oh, where they're looking into the, the camera and they're just saying like super like prejudice racist stuff. And it's like everybody, mm-hmm. it's like, I think it's uh Mookie says it, and then it's John Turturro's character says it, and then it's like yeah. the cop. And then like it's everybody kind of in this, like it's like six characters in the story of like different race mm-hmm. say that, and you go like, oh, okay, shit is about to pop off soon yeah um they're looking right into the camera yeah I, I thought it was a big artistic statement like a big move in the middle of the movie um yes, i love that yeah I, I love
1: how like one last thing was like john DeToro's character right when he when he and Mookie have the conversation and Mookie is like you love prince right you love yeah. michael is it michael jordan he's like you love all these black these black uh stars icons right but you tend to not like black people and and uh John Chua's character is like, well, they're they're different. They're not black. And It's like, wow, like, holy yeah. shit, like to have that kind of ignorance, right? And to like, yeah. and he believe, he believes that. Yeah, that's not something he's joking around with. He genuinely believes that. And like Mookie's calling him out, and he he can't process what Mookie's saying because I, it's challenging everything he believes in. It's I, I, powerful.
0: I think, sorry, I think no. no honestly, heard- I'm done. <laughs> Well, no, I'll wrap it up here. But I think John Turturro's character is like the most dangerous character in the movie, but mm. he doesn't actually do anything like really like physically violent. He just, I mean, mm. I might—I don't think he does, but I feel well, like- Unless he talked that talk. <laughs> yeah, he talks that talk. And I feel like if he popped off, he would do some God awful shit. Yeah. Um, but like he doesn't, but like just a lot of his dialogue, I'm like, oh like it just it's just very i forgot like kind of the stuff he says is just very unsettling um, i mean i was googling those
1: those he was calling them every like racist <laughs> form of black in in italian i was googling it last night yeah, i never did yeah. that before and uh you know and also uh, uh john Carlos esposito's character what's his name again i'm just feeling tonight.
0: Name uh, bugging out <laughs>
1: <laughs> bugging out you know his whole thing about the pictures on the wall like i was just like know, from my experience and my, my, I'm just like, he's correct. Like, I, I feel like he's the correct one, right? Because like, you're coming into this space, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're uh, coming to the space of predominantly black people and you're taking their money, right? You're, you're, of course, you're not listening to giving yourself away or they're paying for it, but like instead of in- integrating and being part of the community, you remain an outsider, right? Because you, you don't want to have any black people on the wall, I was like, I don't know. I just, I just, I love the movie. I love the movie. There's so many things you can, we can talk about this movie for like four hours. We can break everything down. it's still wouldn't be enough time. There's no, so much I, in it.
0: Yeah. It's, you could go on and on about this. I am going to recommend. masterpiece. I Yeah. I am going to recommend one thing to you. And I just, I have the book here, Fun City Cinema. There is a podcast yeah. that kind of goes with the book. It's real quick. There's two seasons. It's it. like six episodes each the first yeah. two episodes are devoted to do the right thing. And it's oh, like two episodes, right? <laughs> yeah. they're each like an hour long and like, yeah, it, I, it's just like a full on, like research, like an audio documentary of everything from what I was like trying to say about like New York in the seventies and eighties and just how fucking mm-hmm. corrupt it was and how like do the right thing. was just kind of this culmination. It felt like of um, just kind of race relations in New York city It's it's a great podcast and those episodes are really good. Um, I do want to preface (laughs) something crazy. It's the last thing I'll say about do the right thing. Yeah, Uh, there was critics out there. One of them is named uh, David Denby, who predicted do the right thing would cause riots. Oh yes, would have black people go to the streets and you know go, you know wreck storefronts and whatnot. Um, Mm -hmm. I would just like to add you know, judging by, you know, everything I've done research wise, I don't think that happened.
1: It did not happen. Um, no.
0: When I heard that, when I read that, it made me think of um, just a personal experience of mine. Do you remember um, the uh, straight out of Compton, the NWA biopic? Yeah. I mm-hmm. saw that, I think opening weekend and me and my wife, and just mm-hmm. my girlfriend at the time, but we were, <laughs> we we're the only white people in fear, the mind you. Um, <laughs> That kind of shit doesn't really, that kind of shit doesn't bother me, but I remember there being in the news, people starting to worry, because I think there was like another police uh, shooting of an unarmed black man happened recently, and there also was a theater shooting that happened, I think, at that same time. And they, there was buzz in the media, like, is this going to incite a riot? You know, mm-hmm. are, are, are black people going to take to the streets? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> um, none of that happened. And but I remember we went to the theater and as we're coming in, we're walking up the aisle right there. There's a police officer there sitting in the theater to monitor to make sure nothing happens. Nothing and I was happened, like, yeah. are you fucking kidding me? Like shit, wow. and like I understand maybe if you know there's maybe two reasons there there were you know maybe you know not to make sure uh, there's a theater shooting, but you're also lumping it in with you know you know is there going to be riots now because of this movie when it comes down to NWA singing fuck the police <laughs> in the movie? Like I was kind of curious yeah. what was going to happen actually when we got to that scene, <laughs> like, with a cop in the theater, but. Everything was cool. Like every time they say black people are going to go to the streets and riot and burn it all down. It's that's never the case. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I'll leave it. Okay.
1: Go see. Do I say one more thing? Go ahead. Just one more thing. um, Cause I thought it was so interesting. Right. Cause we were talking about black Klansmen earlier. Yeah. I I guess obviously we were kids, right. We were like fucking like two, three, one years old during the time when this movie came out, but um, this film didn't get nominated for Best Oscar, for Best Picture at the Oscars. It got nominated for, I think, two nominations. One for Danny Ayalo. Sorry. A-A-L-O and Ayalo. Uh, Danny Ayalo. And, and for Best Screenplay. And what won Best um, Picture that year was Driving Miss Daisy and Spike Lee was pissed, right? Oh, yeah. And then... I <laughs> <laughs> remember... Fast forward 30 years later when Black Klansman comes out and it loses to Green Book. He was pissed about that, rightfully so, because after 30 years, like it was still the same kind of surface level garbage
0: that. And he he, he had some sort of comment about driving Miss Daisy. It's like, oh, now now it's the black person in the backseat now. Now it's a white <laughs> dude driving us around. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't know he. He lost to um I didn't know Driving Miss Daisy won that year, but I knew there was some sort of connection because he mm-hmm. had something to say about it. Spike Lee's always gonna speak his mind, whether you agree with it or not. Like, you know, there's, nothing, sure. you, there's nothing you can do about it. Like <laughs> And did you know his
1: dad did the music?
0: Scored the movie? No, I did not.
1: Yeah, I was on a I was on a research thing last night. I was did not know that all these years. His dad's like a jazz composer and composed oh, a lot of his movies.
0: I did know that. I supposedly yeah. like his parents got a brownstone in Brooklyn mm-hmm. in incredibly cheap at the mm-hmm. like in I, I don't I don't know the story there, but and it's those are worth like a shit ton now. Um oh, sure because of things like gentrification <laughs> and whatnot, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, um, all right. <laughs> this just to kind of wrap things up here, this was a lot of fun. It was uh, at least I hope it was for you. <laughs> it was.
1: Um, so excited you uh, invited me to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, I, I learned about a new movie that I sh- I've i been recommended to see for so long that I just mm-hmm. never did. And I was so fortunate to see that one and to experience that and get to talk about it with you a little bit today.
0: Yeah, man. So, um, I mean, I know you've been on the show before, but it's been a while. Uh, this is <laughs> part of the show where if you have anything to plug... Uh, now's
1: yeah. your chance. Well, submissions are open for the Bridgeport Film Fest 2022. Coming back, all right. It's coming back, baby. Um, so if you have a short film that's 25 minutes or under and you would like to submit, please do. Uh, maybe I'll give you like a fee, uh, fee waiver, like discount thing you could put in the comments for people. And they can like, get a discount. We're also doing short screenplays, because we're all about empowering people to tell their own stories. That's kind of our mission. And we feel like the easiest or not the easiest way, but like the, the, the best way we can help is by kind of allowing people to do shorts because I think shorts lead to, to features. So if you have a short script, you're like really looking to get produced, maybe you want to submit it and we're like a small cash prize for the winner. So yeah, we're doing some cool stuff. You know, last year was hugely successful. We had over 600 people over the course of three days and we had another hundred people virtually. So we're hoping to uh, get a little bigger this year.
0: Hell yeah. Happy that went well for you because last time you were on, Thank we were you. plugging it. We were nervous uh, it was the middle of the pandemic. So yeah. I don't even know where we are in the pandemic anymore, but uh, Who knows. <laughs> um that's cool. Where can we uh where can we track you down and follow you if we thought you were cool on this
1: episode? If you if you think I'm cool, um you can follow me at on Instagram at Jason A. Coombs, C-O-O-M-B-S. And then also same on Twitter. I be tweeting sometimes. I'm still still figuring out Twitter, but I got a I got a better grasp at it um, over over the pandemic. Uh, so I be tweeting over there, you know, sharing some uh, screenwriting tips and talking about scream because it's been my big thing the past month or so. <laughs> so yeah, and then brisportfilmfest.org if you want to submit.
0: And don't you have another podcast, like? <laughs>
1: How could I forget survival job? I do too much. I know too you Too much, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, no, so no I'm I just need to plug it because
0: it's a, it's an awesome episode, which I was on about a month ago. So check me out on yeah. There.
1: I think oh. you're episode 22, if I'm not mistaken. But Survivor, survival jobs, a podcast with my co-host, Samantha Tetzelow. So shout out to Samantha if you're listening. <laughs> All
0: right. Cool, man. Well, again, this was... I don't know. This was a big episode. You, you met the challenge. Well, wow. I, I knew you would, but um, I was actually, mm-hmm. I had to do, I had to make sure I did my homework. I didn't want to look stupid <laughs> on this episode and hopefully I didn't, but. Oh no, no, you didn't. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. It was, it was really fun. No, this was, this was cool. This was cool to talk, you know, black cinema, you and me, this was, this was a lot of, mm-hmm. I don't know. This was good. It was good. It was good for <laughs> America. This is really good for America. <laughs> And uh, I don't know. We'll see you all next week. Take care.